Uh, my name is David Roderick, and I'm Minister of Outreach and Mission here at Troy United Methodist. Um, up until a month or so ago, I would have introduced myself as family minister. Um, thoroughly enjoyed my work in that role here. But as our church grows, as we uh, redefine our mission and we look forward, it seems to fit that I would move into a new role. And in fact, part of my, really the essence of my message today, will talk about my movement in one area of that. Um, but really, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I was not ready to lead a church in mission and outreach. But um, God has worked in my life and my heart in many different ways. And, and really what that means is when, when you look at our, um, at our mission, we're to connect and to grow and to serve and to share and to worship. Uh, what falls under my category is the share, the things we do outside of the walls here, the way in which we do missions, which is ministering to our community, uh, the larger uh, area of St. Louis, our nation and our world. And that's what we're gonna kind of focus on today but it's also to work with our church in reaching out to our community, involving our community, inviting our community uh, in our doors. That could be for worship, but that could also be for upward basketball or uh, the things we do at our ball fields over here, or just provide opportunities and activities where we're going to encourage you not to just come, but invite someone to bring along with you. So I hope to... Um, continue to lead in the area of moving beyond our walls, and I hope that you all have a heart uh, to come along uh, on that journey. Uh, would you pray with me? God, as we move into this time of a message and, and hearing from you, God, I, I feel that what we are talking about today is important, and I'm not sure I feel adequate to fully express it. And so God, beyond my words, help us to be hearers of, uh, of your word today. And Lord, let it speak to each of us in a place we need to hear from you. And then God, not just to hear, but, but be moved in whatever actions that we need to, ch to, to, to make, any changes that we need to make, and to respond to your call. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the scripture that was read today, and it was the first half of a larger uh, portion of scripture where Jesus is teaching, but he's looking forward to the future as he's teaching. And there is so much theology and eschatology, in other words, I'm not sure I fully understand, wrapped up in this scripture. But we're gonna bring it down to a little more simple, uh, take a little simpler look at what does that mean to us today? And so we read the first part, which um, he's talking to, he says all the nations, and he's got them divided in half. Probably shouldn't do it that way because eventually that'll get me in trouble because we talk about the sheep, those are the ones he's pleased with, and well, the goats, <laughs> the ones he's not. And, um, and so he's talking to them and he says first to the sheep, and, he, and the scripture here today is where he said to them that, you know, uh, the, the, the kingdom is prepared for you because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. A stranger, you invited me in, etc. But after that, he turns to the other group. What he determines is the goats here, and again, a lot of theology wrapped into that. But he said, you know, you're gonna depart from me because when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. What he's saying is that ultimately, the way in which you 
minister to what he calls the least of these, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that is in a minute. He says, you've done it for me. In other words, Jesus recognizes he can't reach everybody. He can't personally, individually, as a human being, for sure, get to all the people who have needs. In the same way that none of us can meet everybody's needs. What he's saying is, I need your help and I need you to do it on my behalf. We need to be his hands and his feet in our world. We all need to find our mission and what we're called to do and trust that as others are called to mission and do what they're to do, then be, we begin corporately as an organization, as a church, as a family to meet more and more needs. The least of these, it could be the immigrant displaced from their homeland. It could be the homeless on the streets. It could be an elderly person alone in a nursing home. It could be people struggling with an illness, physical or emotional or mental. It could be families struggling to put food on the table. It could be somebody struggling with grief or depression or in some other way living a life of quiet desperation. The list could go on and on. There's no shortage of needs in our world. But in the scripture, Jesus tells that disciples are called to live as Jesus lived. See, his ministry, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see this over and over and over, is that he went against the common expectations of the day. That's why he was, why he was always in trouble with the religious leaders. He didn't get caught up in the hierarchical world that often exploited others and sought personal power and wealth over the common good. In return, or, or against that backdrop, he sought out the marginal, the invisible, the hurting, and as the Methodist Bishop Will Willimon writes, the others, those who are different from us, the ones who are thirsty, those who don't belong, those are in need of the basic essentials of everyday survival, like clothes and food and shelter. But one of the things that really stands out to me is that as he said to those two different groups, basically the same thing, that you did this, you didn't, both of them responded very similarly. The first group said, well, when did we do that? You know, he's just complimented them, but they're still, where did we do that, Jesus? The other group said, well, when didn't we do that? Well, I think the point that Jesus is making, among others, is that it's about the individual act. It's not just about the individual acts of mercy that each person did or did not do, but it's highlighting an attitude, an attitude of the heart to have a desire to serve others without seeking reward as opposed to those who serve themselves for what is ultimately a worthless reward. Our motivation is to serve out of a love of others because of the love Christ has for us. One story to highlight that is that, you know, we, we live in a, in a society that still looks at people in different ways, lower and higher. We were in Nashville a few years ago and um, had a middle school mission trip. And we were primarily working with the homeless in Nashville. And, and the group we were working with gave us this, um, uh, this scavenger hunt to do. 
to find things, to ask questions. For example, we were trying to find outlets where a homeless person in an electric wheelchair could find a place to plug in and recharge so that they could continue to be mobile. Harder than you would think. Well, they wanted us to find where they could go to the bathroom. And so we go into this hotel, and a couple of the kids with us, middle school kids, went up, took the lead, and they asked the concierge, said, um, sir, do you allow the homeless to come in here and use the restroom? He goes, oh, well, um, um, our corporate policy is that if you are not a member, if you are not a guest of this hotel, you are not allowed to use our restrooms. You know, we have to protect our, our guests. They are our priority. Went on to answer a couple other questions and, and talk for a minute. And as we started to walk away, I got just a few feet away and I thought, hmm. And I turned back to him and I said, oh, sir, uh, where's your restroom? I need to use that before I leave. Oh, it's just down the hall and to the right. <laughs> it wasn't lost on the kids either. It wasn't about policy. It was about who you are and are you allowed, are you good enough to be where we're at? And Jesus wants us to see everybody as okay. Corporations can have their policy. Businesses can do what they want. But we have a personal responsibility to not divide people that way. In fact, if we do, we need to turn it upside down and begin with the least of these. Well, I've struggled with that for a long time. Avoiding people, that made me uncomfortable. But a simple thing happened a few years ago that really changed my life. It was a random Saturday morning, and I was working with a youth group. It was about 25 years ago. No, 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 about 20 years ago. I was working with a youth group in the area, and we were doing a car wash at the Moto Mart in Collinsville on 159, right across from Shop and Save. And I live in Maryville right off of 159. And um, being in, in charge, I kept having to come back and forth, getting hoses, more buckets, more um, sponges, et cetera. So over just a short period of time, I drove up and down 159 several times. But the first time in the morning, getting there about 9 o'clock, and about a block north of Motomart, I see a bum walking down the street. And I look at him. I go on and pull in. And had I not left Motomart, I would never have thought of that person again. Well, it wasn't too long after that that I left again, and I drove by him a second time, and kind of a casual glance thought, hmm, wonder where he's going. No more thought than that. So I got home, got what I needed, passed him again a third time, and I thought, huh, I wonder where he is going. wonder where he's coming from. And how did he wind up right here today, right now? Now, mind you, that was more of a philosophical question than a question out of concern for this man. Well, the fourth time I went by him, I began to think, I wonder, where is he really from? What's his background? What's going through his mind as he walks down this sidewalk? Does he have a destination? Or is he just walking to the next place? My curiosity was beginning to grow. Well, the fifth time I drove by him, I thought, is there somebody that wonders where he's at besides me? Does he have family? Has he been married? Does he have children? 
How is he feeling about his life and the situation that he's in? And does anybody out there love him or care about his situation? Well, I was determined next time, I'm going to find out. So as I drove back toward Maryville, I thought, this time I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to take him for lunch or see if he needs food or if he just needs a ride somewhere and find out about him. But as I drove all the way to Glen Carbon, far beyond where he could have walked, he was gone. Once again, invisible. And that's when it occurred to me, he wasn't the bum. I was. Because I saw him but didn't even really see him. And I realized that, you know what? There is somebody that loves him and cares about his situation. It's his creator. His father. God who cares about him and sees him as a beloved child. And then the humbling part was to realize that God loved him just as much as he loved me. In that moment, maybe more. Because God always looks with a broken heart on the needy. But doesn't have a lot of patience for those who see people as bums. I realized he was an outcast just like I am. And we heard today the cry of the outcast is love us God or nobody will. God wants us to see those who are around us who are in need. For me, it began with a simple act without even thinking about it of beginning to humanize somebody that originally was almost invisible to me. You know, I learned several years ago that as you get to know people, they move from invisible to visible, from unknown to known. And one of the ways that you begin to do that is simply by asking them their name and telling them yours. People who are thirsty, the stranger, they are all in need of human relationships, just like everyone else. So first, to change my own attitude and to begin understanding and recognizing was to begin to recognize that everyone is a child of God and that I am no better than anyone else and that I am to love them even as God loves me. Well, another thing that changed my attitude was to be on the other side of mission service, to be served. It happened on May 8th, 2011. I know that because that's two days after a devastating tornado hit Joplin, Missouri. Uh, my wife and I went to high school in that area. We both went to college in Joplin. We met and married and started our careers in Joplin. Tammy still had family there. And when this tornado came through, we were devastated. Five hours away and, and felt helpless. Her sister and brother-in-law went down and picked up uh, their mother and, and, and brother and brought him back to Kansas City. But we knew we needed to secure the house. So two days later, we left, drove down. We were already a wreck by the time we got there because we drove through two tornado warnings on the way. But as we drove into town, it was obvious, even on the outskirts, that something bad had happened. And, and we really emotionally were not ready 
to head into town. In fact, we both had, uh, we were in separate cars because she was going to stay longer. And we, we, we dropped her car off, not at the house. We weren't ready to go there yet. But we drove, we stopped at 20th Street in Duquesne, which is on the east side of Joplin. And as we turned back around and started to head back down 20th Street to the west, we looked across and saw something. We'd driven down that road hundreds of times in our past. We saw something we had never seen before. It was St. John's Hospital. If you know anything about the, the tornado, that hospital was rendered useless as a result of the tornado, but the building still stood. And in the past, there was so many things between um, uh, where we were at in that hospital, that four miles are trees and houses and apartment buildings. And there was no way you could see that building and all of a sudden you could. And that's when it hit us, how much devastation had really taken place. And so we drove to her mom and dad's house um, and, and they lived on 26th Street, uh, right off Duquesne and at about three or four blocks down and, and the first 10 houses or so leading up to theirs was there, their house was there, the next house was there, but the rest of the neighborhood was completely gone. The tornado had come through the main part of Joplin, lifted up, set back down, literally two houses down from theirs and continued on. You couldn't even recognize the neighborhood. Tammy couldn't recognize the neighborhood she grew up in. Well, we sat down out in the driveway. We couldn't really get in the house. And um, we brought some chairs along and we just sat down. We didn't know what to do. We were paralyzed. First thing we noticed is a, a power truck from, uh, I don't even know what company it was, from uh, hundreds of miles away. They'd come into town just to help begin building the infrastructure. And right in front of the house, they put a new telephone pole. Two days later, and they're already re rebuilding the infrastructure. And then here comes this group of men with chainsaws. And they introduced themselves. They were from some county in southern Missouri. And when things like this happen, they get together and they come there and, and they just begin to help. And, and her, her mom's house had several large trees laying on top of it. And they said, let us just cut them down. Let us get them off the house, take care of them for you. But then this white 15-passenger van pulls up stops in the street in front of the house and out gets these two ladies and a couple of kids and they walk up to us with bags in their hand we hadn't thought about food we weren't even thinking about hunger but they said hey we've got some food for you and we took the food the bag of food and they gave us bottles of water you couldn't use water you had there was no water in joplin they handed us bottles of water and they said can we pray for you he said, yeah. These were a handful of people from hundreds of miles away who had no idea what to do. But they showed up. They brought food. They said, you know what? There's going to be hungry people. We need to feed them. There's going to be thirsty people. We need to give them water. But even more, there were people who were hurting and feeling powerless and hopeless. And they brought a sense of goodness to the world. Why would God send devastation? It's the world. But what God sends are people.
And I will never forget the feeling of being served in that moment. I know all the mission trips we've taken in the past, all over the country with youth, you show up, you're there for a week, you leave, you don't really know the impact that you make on people's lives. You usually support some missionaries in the area and they may give you some feedback. But it began to dawn on me. Those people saw me for two minutes, will never see me again. And this many years later, I'm telling you their story. When you serve, you make a difference whether you know it or not. We don't serve for our own gain. But I'm telling you, when you serve, it gives to you as well. The third thing was seeing visually the impact it makes on someone who serves. I've had many experiences, but I want to tell you the experience of an eighth grade young man named Nathan. We were doing a mission project locally. This was in Northern Virginia. And uh, there was a, a home for uh, a shelter for battered, beaten women and children. I, I don't know if the proper term today, but uh, that was their, their thing. We're here for women who've been, and children who've been abused. And it was a place of safety where, where uh, dads and boyfriends couldn't find them and where they could begin to rebuild their lives. And, and several families, lots of children there. You can imagine being displaced from home, the fear, the uncertainty. And, and we didn't know what to do, but it's close to Easter, so we said, let's do an Easter egg hunt. We got there and somebody had found a, an Easter bunny costume and everybody turns to Nathan, because it's about his size. Said, Nathan, we need you to wear this costume. Well, he's an eighth grade boy, he's embarrassed. He's like, I I'm not gonna wear that costume. Goes, no, Nathan, we really need you to wear it. Well, oh, this is stupid. We're, I, I don't wanna wear that thing. Somehow we talked Nathan into doing it and he was not happy. Two hours later, we finished, and I should say it was hot that day. <laughs> it was a hot spring day. We're all sweating. I look over at Nathan and he's just drained. Still in the uniform, but his body just, you know. He comes over, he pulls off this bunny hat, sets it down, sweating. And he walks up to me and tears just began to come down his eyes. He said, do you think they had fun today? Do you think we did a good thing today? I gave him a hug. I said, Nathan, we did a good thing today. Nathan, you did a good thing today. I said, Nathan, when you set yourself apart, and you're all put away your own needs, you will change lives. And Nathan wasn't talking about the fact it changed his life. But it did because of his concern for others. You know, we have a lot of mission opportunities here at our church. Many of you are involved in those. Many of you are involved in mission work outside of our church. And that's the purpose of those sheets that you were given today. We have a brand new mission team and they just want to know what's going on. They want to be informed and, and know they're not judging if you are, if you're not. They just want to know who's involved. Because sometimes there's things that we're doing, we don't even know who to ask. And believe me, if there's something you want to do, all you have to do is say, hey, I want to help. Because we're, people are always in need of more. 
in our bulletin, you'll always find it in the share section or in the bulletin for the newsletter, the opportunities for that month to serve, places to be involved. But here's the thing, you don't have to wait. We taught this to our families uh, over the years, is one simple way to find your place in mission is to drive around your community or walk around your neighborhood and ask the simple question, what needs to be done? And as you answer that question, you're on your way to being in missions. You can always pray for your community. Listen to your heart. When you hear the story of someone in need or people have, have lost something important to them or a disaster has hit, if it moves your heart, if it makes you passionate, that's where you need to serve. Each month in the newsletter will be a different focus. Again, realizing that our church cannot meet all the needs that are out there. So we're gonna highlight some that we think are important uh, to us, both in our community and beyond. And for example, this, this month, we've, we've uh, focused on food pantries, starting with Ministries Unlimited right here in the community that the church is in, but we recognize that we come from all over the area. I've got Glen Ed Food Pantry in Maryville and Collinsville Food Pantry. And as often as we give food, they remind us that we need other things as well. The same people that need food need toilet paper and toothbrushes and deodorant. And you don't have to wait for a church drive. You can drive by on your way home from the store and drop things off at any of those pantries in your community and make a difference. Be on mission. Find your place in mission. Look around, see the needs of others, but be willing to step outside your comfort zone because often the people we serve take us beyond where we're comfortable. But you know what? That's what our faith does. That sometimes is what makes it the most meaningful. God calls us to share his good news of salvation with others. We do this by showing them love by meeting their needs. Paul sums it up in Romans 10. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Find your mission, find your place to serve, serve others, and be people with beautiful feet. Let us pray. God, help all of us to be people with beautiful feet who bring good news. Sometimes that's in the form of food. Sometimes it's in the form of shelter or clothing. Sometimes it's in a hug. Sometimes it's in uh, a visitation. Sometimes it's in a prayer. God, it takes all kinds of forms. But let us share your love with others and change lives, both theirs and ours. Amen.